Welcome to the Lemon Spark Podcast, where we share stories about lemons that spark a new direction in life. I'm your host, Barbara Zabala. Well, welcome Nancy Peterson to the Lemon Spark Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and for your willingness to share your incredible Lemon Spark story. Everyone, I want you to meet Nancy. She is the founder of Talk Story Tradition. And she founded this in 2016, and she'll talk about what that is exactly. But I want to remind everyone that Lemon Spark is really based on three pillars, and it's finding stories of hope, inspiration, and a sense of community. And Nancy really captures all three. And she wrote a book in 2019. 19 about uh, her experience with her late husband who was addicted to alcohol and other substances. And she wrote it really to create a sense of community, to let people know that if they're experiencing something similar and they have a loved one who is suffering from addiction, that they are not alone. And I think that is just one of the most important things that this podcast offers to people who are going through their own struggles right now is to know that they are not alone. So Nancy, welcome to the podcast and let's let's talk about your your lemon. Well, thank you. It's very nice to be here, Barbara. So let's see, I have two lemons, but I'll I'll talk about them one at a time. The book that was published in 2019 is called Dear Husband, Letters to an Addict. And I started writing that as a way to process what was happening in my marriage to my husband, who was an addict and alcoholic. And it starts 19 years into our relationship, uh, what was already a rocky relationship that became increasingly untenable as he relapsed pretty spectacularly after being sober, clean and sober for a number of years. So I started this sort of as a way of journaling to help me process what was happening in my relationship. So that book came from that experience. And it's really just a snapshot of my own experience, my experience, strength and hope in uh, navigating this relationship with my husband, uh, who was an incredible, wonderful, intelligent, interesting, very funny man. And he was very troubled and suffered from addiction, probably going back to his very early days. So when, when he would tell his story, he said he was an alcoholic long before he ever touched alcohol. He, as a young child, he was uh, just couldn't get enough of little cars and trains and would even sometimes steal money to get more of those. So he had an addictive personality. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so even during the years when he wasn't drinking, there were other things that were problematic. Buying and riding motorcycles, exercising obsessively, unhealthy dieting. I mean, whatever, whatever it was, there was always something that was an issue and problematic that he could never really get a handle on. But you said at the same time, he was funny and he was interesting and you guys lived all over. Well, we, we did. We have three children who are all adults and pretty amazing young people in their own right. Yeah, and you said he, your son is what, your son is in the Canary Islands. Yep, my son, who's the oldest, has uh, been living in the Canary Islands for about a year and a half. I have a daughter who just moved to Brooklyn has uh, some 
great job and is doing wonderful. And my youngest daughter is, has been in Vietnam for more than two years teaching. Wow. And, Quite uh, the adventurous spirit. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so they got that from their parents. So when our kids were growing up, we traveled, we traveled ourselves silly. We took a million road trips. We camped. We, one summer, we did a 4,000-mile eastern loop. Uh, we were gone for five weeks with our little a camper van and a travel trailer, and we stayed with friends and family and camped. And the following summer, we did a 6,000-mile, seven-week trip uh, going out west. So, wow. yeah, so we, we, we did a lot of great things with and for our, our children and as a family. So there were many, many wonderful times, but always sometimes in the foreground, sometimes in the background was the fact of his addiction. And it, it certainly must have affected you enough for you to write your journals about the experience. Yes, absolutely. It, 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 found it, it affected me profoundly. Um, and our children too. I mean, I, I think in an alcoholic family, everybody suffers in some way. And thank goodness, uh, a friend led me to a 12 step program early on when my son was a baby. And that really saved me. Saved you. You, you weren't the one who had the addiction, but you went to the 12 step program. Right. So for instance, out. Al- Alcoholics Anonymous is for alcoholics. There are other programs for the family and friends of alcoholics, like Al-Anon, Adult Children of Alcoholics. Um, There are other groups that talk about codependency. So in my case, it was Al-Anon, and that that saved me. How did it save you? I I guess I really wasn't familiar with these outlets that are available for family and friends of addicts you know I always yeah so they're amazing and so what I learned I learned a number of very important things in Al-Anon one was that I didn't cause his problem I couldn't control it and I couldn't cure it Hmm. so that's a that's a program that teaches you to focus on yourself not on the alcoholic you focus on what what you're doing that contributes to the problems the ways that uh, you are codependent and enabling of people with problems like this, um, learned about setting boundaries, about being healthy, taking care of myself, all kinds of things that were just critical for me to learn. And I, I took all of that to heart and became a good student of, of that program. So you implemented some of these ideas and concepts that they were teaching you through Al-Anon about setting boundaries and not enabling and do you think that helped your husband? It, it did. It did. And I'll also say that he also, for on and off, over the years, went to AA. He also went to NA, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, when we lived somewhere that had that meeting group. And I remember asking a friend once whose father was an alcoholic and an addict as well and had been in and out of rehab programs. And I said, well, why don't you think he can make it stick? And she said, because it's like gravity. You just let your guard down for a moment. There you are again. And something that was also very helpful for me was to go to open AA meetings. That Those were meetings that are open to, for anyone. They're often speaker meetings. And those were very profound and very humbling because as much as I was suffering, 
being in a relationship with an alcoholic, when I heard alcoholics tell their story, uh, that talk about suffering. So it's a program that taught me humility and helped me to get off my high horse. There's a, what do you a, mean by that? Get off your high horse. What- well, so there, there's a little joke uh, about people in Al-Anon that the Al-Anon handshake is wagging your finger at someone, you know, scolding them. Being the addict, you're scolding the addict? Yeah. And, and I, I think through that program, I also learned to be more compassionate, more understanding, but also more protective of myself and setting healthy boundaries and, and learning what behaviors I could accept and what, what I couldn't. So my intent, my, well, I had several intents in, in the book. One was to let other people know that they're not alone. Because in the, in the early days of, of my relationship, when my son was a baby, I, was, I felt so excruciatingly alone. I just thought I couldn't have been more lonely and felt more alone and like no one else in the world was going through what I was. So the moment I walked into my first 12-step meeting, I knew instantly that this was the place I was going to get the help that I needed. And I did. And uh, talk about a community. It was an incredible community. But I also learned to practice detachment, letting my husband be responsible for his own behavior, not trying to clean up after him, not trying to cover for him, Mm -hmm. letting him be an adult with integrity and take the responsibility for his own actions. So I wanted to let people know that they're not alone. And I think that's part of the power of memoir is when people share things that are deeply personal and have affected them profoundly, but also how that helped them and how they work through that, I think is very powerful. And, and the name of the memoir again is? Dear Husband, Letters to an Addict. Letters to an Addict. Yeah. And, and that can... uh, was published by Henschel House. And so they can go to Henschel House to... Publishing and purchase your book, Dear Husband, Letters to an Addict. Yeah. So it's available there. It's also available on Amazon. But that's not the end of your story. So you said that your husband had passed away in 2016. Right, towards the end of the year. And one of the really profound things that that happened before he died was my son and I recorded his life story. And we did that. So he died the end of October and starting in June and going through early September, we did 21 interviews with him where he talked about his life. That really came about for a couple of reasons. One is that even after all those years together, I was still hearing stories from him that I hadn't heard before. He led an incredibly interesting life. He lived and worked all over Africa, traveled extensively in uh, Central America and Europe and in the United States. He was articulate. He was interesting. He was very well read. He spoke six languages. He was really an extraordinary person. Out of those interviews, we have I now have a book that my son and I put together called From the Alps to America, The Life Story of Patrick Alfred Mueller. And that's your husband. Yes. Yeah. And just a little side note, um, as I, this got me thinking about how vital and important it is to get people's stories down because once someone dies, that library closes forever. An experience early in my life really got me thinking about how important that is. When my grandmother died when I was 19, 
I knew she had led an interesting life as well, but it wasn't until decades later that I realized that she was the keeper of so much information that no one else knew about family matters, family secrets, and also just historically. Uh, she lived in, um, in Germany and Czechoslovakia in the early days of uh, Hitler's rise to power. Uh, my mother and my aunt were grew up in Hitler's Germany. And so, just so many things that would just, I mean, I would literally give anything to have just one day with my grandmother so I could mm. ask her all the questions that at the age of 19 never even occurred to me to ask. So, and then when I did this story, the interviews with Patrick, really just in the next time, and I had offered, I was thinking about this, and I have a, a very good friend who's in her 90s, and I wanted to do her story, and I said that I would do that for no charge, just mm -hmm. to sort of get my feet wet and get a feel for this. And thank goodness she turned me down, because if she had agreed, I would have done her first, and my husband would have died, and I would have never had that opportunity. So you started trying to capture his story even before you knew he was oh no i knew he was dying you knew he was dying i knew he was dying he had um he had liver disease he had been diagnosed with hepatitis c probably around 1997 and back then the treatment options were marginal at best uh, the only option was like a six-month course of interferon which had a 50 percent cure rate and terrible terrible side effects. And he was asymptomatic and decided uh, he would just wait till something better came along. And for some reason that I just find unfathomable, we both just put it so far on the back burner that we never, we never brought it up with a doctor. We never did any research on our own. Anyway, probably in about 2012, his liver values were elevated. And finally, his, his doctor referred him to a specialist who said, good news, you have a very treatable form of hepatitis, I can cure you. But he wanted to do these tests. Everything was looking good. And then he did one more test, which showed that he had a tumor in his liver. Mm. And then that changed everything. So then he was sent down to a different hospital to get on the uh, liver transplant list. And that was all going along well. And then um, very much in keeping for alcoholics, they are champions at self-sabotage. So he tested positive for drugs and he was booted off of the transplant list and then ended up dying from liver cancer. So when, when we were doing his life story, he had been told that end of the line, there were no treatment options for him. Mm. He had probably about six months to live. So you started the story, um, cataloging his story. Yeah, actually, let me correct that. That's not exactly true. We started in June. And at that point, he still thought he'd be able to get a transplant. In August, maybe towards the end of August, he found out that that was not the case. Mm. So at that point, we were just about done with, with the interviews. And I was able to do a lot of the transcription and editing and talk with him about things to clarify and have him help with some corrections in, in the months leading up to his death. But this experience with recording his story then sparked a new 
mission, a new purpose for you. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so yeah, it really reinforced for me that what I would like to do something that I think I'm good at. And that is just, as I said, so important is to help people get their life stories down because in, and for instance, my mother uh, did that and she died in 2009 and I'd been after her for years to write. I got her books about writing down your story and she just couldn't do it. And so finally we found someone who who did that for her. And so we have a book much smaller, briefer than the book about Patrick. But just a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, I was rereading some letters of my mother's and it occurred to me even now, I'm 60, how many things I didn't, I never asked her, how many conversations we never had. Mm. And so, and and it's just, um, it's just sad. Makes me, it makes me sad to think about the people in my life who have, who have died. Yes. So you're, your business where you capture, help people capture yes. stories of loved ones yes. is called Talk Story Tradition. Yes. And you have the website talkstorytradition.com. Correct. Where people can go to learn more about your service. Because from what I understand, you interview the person whose story you're trying to capture and then you write it in a book. Right. You create I, a book. I, I, I record it, transcribe it, edit it, give it back to, uh, to the interviewee for corrections and changes, and uh, put it into a book with photos if, if people desire. It can also have a CD. So like for the case of my mother and also Patrick, I have recordings of all of them. Oh, so you actually record? Yes. Yeah, record the interview so you can actually get a book and the recorded interview the source material essentially yes and and the book you uh is looks like it's a book that could be played in barnes and noble right yes absolutely spiral bound or anything it's actually like a nice soft cover professional looking book so for instance when when my mother passed away in 2009 and she um she didn't want a funeral or a memorial service or anything. And she was a big opera lover. So I had a, a party um, and invited uh, a lot of her friends. We played opera. We did a toast to her with the drinking song. And I had copies of her life story book out and people just could not put it down. So they had, there were four copies and people were visiting and reading through the book. And it was just, and they're like, wow, I didn't know your mother led such an interesting life. You know, she's a little old lady. <laughs> well, what a neat idea and a really inventive way to celebrate someone's life. And I can imagine people, you must be busy like around holidays. I, I can imagine this would be a great holiday gift, though I don't know how you as one person could possibly manage hundreds and hundreds of of stories it's by no means hundreds and hundreds (laughs) (laughs) and and actually i was uh i i was thinking if listeners want to they can send me an email my email is uh, well you can go to the website and there's a contact page yes the um, talkstorytradition.com website and so there's a contact page or they could just email me directly at talkstorytradition at gmail.com 
And I'd be happy to, uh, to, for, you know, no charge, just have a conversation with somebody who's interested in doing that and give them some tips about if, if that's something they want to do on their own, give them <laughs> some, some tips to get started on that. Or, but you do offer it as a service since I, you I do. offer yeah, yourself. I do. And, and there are tiers of service. So for instance, if someone just wanted to do the interviews and just have a, a, have a document, mm -hmm. have that transcribed and, and printed up, that's, that's one way. Mm -hmm. Another way is to do all of that. You get a, C, a CD and you can have a book. You can include photos or not. So there yeah. are... Well, I could see this being a very popular gift item for people for for birthdays, for holidays, and right. you know when word gets out, you might you might need to hire some freelance <laughs> writers to help you. Well, there you go. And, and my son, even though he's far away, thanks to technology, it's almost like he's right here. So, and he has a film degree from U University of Michigan, and he's great at editing and formatting pictures and. All kinds of things so nice so you self-publish these books for the uh, yes uh, basically there there are templates out there mm -hmm. that, uh, that are pretty useful. are these books then available on amazon or are they just something that people have as a keepsake for it there are ways that you can you can get more certainly more than one copy but but you know i honestly haven't really looked into that because i have like for instance with my husband's book I don't know that, what would the market be for that, really? Yes. You know, for, oh, it, maybe friends and things. Oh, definitely for friends, yeah. So yeah, Would be interested I've, in buying I've, I've had We've had many of our friends have been very, you know, have gotten the book. And my favorite response is that I can hear Patrick. It's like he's, it's him telling his story. Yes. So it's, it's very much, cap, I mean, even in print, captured his voice. And the way he spoke. Yeah. What a really, really under, wonderful idea and business model. Um, I, I love it. So yes, if you're interested listeners in learning more about Nancy's business, talkstorytradition.com, go visit it. And of course, if you're interested in her memoir of her husband, the uh, letters to an addict. Your husband, letters to an addict. Your Husband, Letters to an Addict. You can get that book on Amazon as well as Henschel House Publishing. Uh, so I want to thank you, Nancy, for sharing your story and being such an inspiration and for what you're doing uh, with trying to keep people and their memories alive. Thank you, Barbara. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for listening to the Lemon Spark Podcast. If you have a Lemon Spark story to share or know someone who does, please message us on Facebook and be sure to like our page. And remember, it's not the lemon that defines you, it's the spark.